God, we're so grateful for your word. God, we're grateful for the account of your resurrection. God, we're thankful for the opportunity this morning to be encouraged, challenged, built up in our eternal hope that is the risen Lord. We just ask your Holy Spirit to be here. Thank you that he resides in us who believe in you. Thank you that he dwells among us as we gather this morning. And pray that he would challenge and encourage our hearts as we cling to you, our risen Lord. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So we're going to look at uh, John 20, verses 1 to 18 today, and uh, going to do it in two sections. There's uh, John and Peter sort of discovering the empty tomb. You guys sort of know what's, what's happening today, right? Um, uh, we, we actually didn't plan to land on this passage on Easter. It's the providence of the Lord that we started last January in the book of John and have somehow at least one Easter landed directly on uh, onto onto John 20 and the resurrection, uh, so we're grateful for that. Um, this passage is, is great, and I love the first portion particularly because it's basically a race, and you all know that I like sports, and so if there ever were a sports moment recorded, what better place to record it than at the resurrection, right? Um, no doubt, literally, if, if John would have had a stopwatch, okay, we would have had the times of this race, I guarantee it, because uh, time after time, as we read, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 to 10 for us. As we read through the passage, you'll see John emphasizing the fact that he was first. He beat Peter. He even started after Peter and ran past him and still beat him. Um, so anyway, we're going to read verses 1 to 10 uh, to start us out. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that's John, uh, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Okay, so from the outset, Mary's conclusion about what she has seen happen is that someone has stolen the body. Someone has taken it, okay? And what we know is that this isn't uncommon. In fact, the reason that there's guards there at the tomb and the thing is sealed with, uh, with the seal of Pilate or whomever there um, is because there were actually grave robbers at the time that would go and steal bodies from prominent tombs and take them. So there actually was a threat that someone would for any number of reasons, whether to tell a story or to just be dishonorable or what have you, would go and steal uh, a body from a grave. So so Mary's first conclusion is they've, they have taken him. Someone has removed, physically taken his body out of the tomb somehow, and he is no longer there. So he goes, she goes back to the disciples and tells him that, verse 3. So Peter went out, to the, uh, went, went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. In exactly one minute and 33 seconds. Um, <clears throat> and stooping in to look, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. So John takes a peek in there, sees uh, the clothes. Then Simon Peter came following him. Right? He's after him. He was last in the race. Right? Um, and and went, in, went into the tomb. 
He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who, by the way, had reached the tomb first, uh, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the, disciple went back, the disciples went back to their homes. So there's a lot of details in here, particularly, right, the race uh, that's happening and John winning the race. Uh, and, and also the way that the, the uh, clothes are laid still in the tomb and the face cloth was folded up here and, and the rest were laying where Jesus was laid. Uh, and so the big question always is, why? Why did Peter get beat by John in the race? Is there some significance to that? Why did, why did Peter go into the tomb and John waited outside and just looked into the tomb? Why is that? Um, and why, did, why was the face cloth laid right here so, just so and, and, the, and the clothes laying as they were? And there are lots of like great speculation and theories and, and wonderings about what the practice of the time was and how it might affect how things might lay out in the tomb and, and all that sort of thing. Um, the, the simplest and, and I think uh, the most, most encouraging explanation is that John wants us to know that these things happened, that they're real, that these are the exact details that he remembers from this account. He remembers that he and Peter left together and he got there first. And he didn't go in, but Peter did boldly go in. Uh, some people have actually said, well, John is trying to show that he is, uh, uh, he's better than Peter, that he runs faster. He's literally trying to say that in some way his faith is stronger than Peter's. No, he just got there first, and he wants you to let, let you know that. In fact, he says, I didn't go in first. I waited because, like, creepy tomb open uh, by stone. And Peter just boldly goes through and, and looks in. So if anything... Peter's the one that, anyway, so there's all these speculative theories. Really, John is trying to tell us, listen, guys, we went to the tomb, and this is how it happened. And, and when we got in there, the, the clothes were laid just as if someone had come out of them, except for the face cloth, which was here, and, and, and that's what we saw. John is trying to communicate, really, the purpose of this book, Right? Uh, chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you may have life in his name. And the most important action of Jesus' whole ministry is that he rises from the dead, which we'll look at throughout this text today. John wants us to know that, that Jesus physically left the grave. Jesus rose from the dead. You might remember us saying uh, earlier as we've gone through this passage that at the time of John's writing, there were many uh, in, the, in the region who he's writing to who thought that Jesus was just a spirit. Uh, who, who thought, well, he, just, he didn't really die on the cross. It was just a, just a spirit. He wasn't really physically a body. And so it was like he sort of died, but not really. John, in, in no uncertain terms, as we've seen in the past few weeks examining uh, the, the, the account of the crucifixion and the road to, uh, to the cross, and, and now him rising from the dead is trying to make it very plain that their explanation of the events is that Jesus was physically hanging on a cross and that Jesus physically rose from the dead. 
And this is exactly how John remembers it. So there might be some significance to how things are laid here and there, but the most significant thing that John wants to tell us is that Jesus is risen. They go to the tomb and examine, and it is said here that as, uh, uh, as they went in, John sees and believes. He believes that Jesus is still doing something, that, that something is up. It says in verse 9 again, for they didn't understand from the scripture yet that, that he must rise from the dead. So he sees and believes that something is still going on, but he doesn't yet fully comprehend what is going on. Don't you appreciate uh, the honesty of scripture to say that there is a level of belief here, even though I don't have complete understanding? right? Uh, don't you know that in, in your faith, you don't have to fully understand all the details exactly and precisely about how this all works. God has got you on a journey, okay? And you're going closer and closer to him. And the whole thing of this, right, this is a faith. <laughs> faith is that big word that bridges the gap between our understanding and the revelation that God has given. And the revelation God has given is that his son is risen, John saw and believed something else is happening here. So the disciples go back to their homes, again, wondering, something's happening, but what is the meaning of this? Let's go and talk to the rest of the disciples and, you know, tell them that indeed, like, we went, and just like Mary said, you know, there's no body here, and the tomb is completely empty. We saw his, his clothes are even still there. His grave clothes are even still there. So this isn't like a Lazarus account where he comes out in his grave clothes. Like his body is gone and his, his grave clothes are there. So like what do we make of this? We don't know. So as they go back, Mary, verse 11, um, 11 to 18, we see an account of Mary. And this is the first of the appearance accounts that Jesus gives. And one of the cool things also about our Lord, and we'll, we'll see over this week and, um, and the coming weeks as we uh, continue on in John, is that Jesus appears to different people. And the cool thing about it is that he does it in different ways. Here, he appears in the garden to Mary, as we'll see, and later he is on the road with some disciples, and, and he comes to us in different ways. We have to be very careful that as we're interacting with people and interacting with people on the topic of Jesus and, and who he is and how he's working in, in your life, uh, he meets us where we're at. And, and he draws us to himself in a very personal way. We've got to be careful not to uh, put everything into like a formula exactly. Okay, this is the steps that you've got to do to make you get into the right uh, set here. No, the Lord like knows your heart and is coming straight to you understanding your situation and drawing you along and continually uh, bridging that gap between your understanding and his revelation by faith. It's, a, it's an internal, uh, personal relationship with the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you. Jesus meets us in very personal, individual ways. Verses 11 to 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. 
As she, and as she wept, she stooped in to look, uh, stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Still, in her mindset, again, it's her, she's thinking that someone has stolen the body. Even when the angels appear, she's like, Okay, this is crazy, but this is really what I think. I think they've taken the Lord from here. You've got to be thinking that something's like stirring in her, that those words, they took him from me, as you're looking at angels, are like, hmm, somebody did. And is it a good thing or a bad thing now? Because there's angels in the tomb. Uh, she said to them, they've taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? <laughs> Don't you love that those are the words that he leads with? Like he knows that she doesn't know that it's him. So couldn't she at that moment just be like, I'm Jesus, you know? I know who you're looking for. You're looking for me, you know? <laughs> but instead, she, he says, asks her the question. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. <laughs> she didn't need to know anything else. That's all she needed to hear. Her Lord saying her name. And she turns and says to him in Aramaic, Rabbanai which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is sort of a confounding verse. Um, as Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. Uh, the reason it's confounding is, uh, is that later on he tells Thomas to touch him, and he has, for some reason, told Mary to not touch him. And so we have to reconcile what does he mean by saying, do not cling to me. Um, and I, again, I, I think it's uh, simpler than it's made out to be. Uh, in each circumstance, again, God is, Jesus is meeting us in a very personal way and trying to tell us something important, right? In the case of Thomas, as we'll see, he is doubting, and he asks, if I see the nails in his hands and the hole in his side, then, then I will believe, and the Lord gives grace to allow him to see that and, in fact, to touch and feel that that is Jesus' physical, raised body. And so here, as she's given a prohibition to uh, not cling to him, we have to understand what exactly is he trying to say to her. And it's not that she, he doesn't want her to touch him. That's not it. He's fine with her embracing. What he's saying is, do not cling. Do not hold on to me. There's a purpose that she has, and, and that purpose is to not just cling to 
Jesus where he is now because he still has more to do. And what he has to do, he wants her to go and tell the other disciples, there's more that is coming. I'm ascending to the Father. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus is telling her something very beautiful here, actually. See, what is likely still going through their minds as, uh, as the Lord is raised from the dead is what? Okay, now, right? Now, in fact, later in Acts, we see that they're asking the question, okay, when's your kingdom going to be restored? You're alive now. Like, what's going to happen? Are we going to take over Rome? Can I cut Malchus's head off now? Like, I got his ear. Can I? Those are the thoughts going through their heads still. We've got a risen Lord. Who can beat this man? Nobody. And so Mary is clinging to a Messiah whom she thinks is just going to stay with them on earth now. So Jesus is telling her, do not cling to me. I've got more to do. He's got something eternal to do, right? Too often we have um, the natural ability to cling to that which is temporary, to put our hope in and our trust in and our comfort in that which is going to fade, that which is going to pass. God is calling us to hope in that which is eternal. God is calling us to hope in that which will last forever. And Jesus' work in that regard is not finished. So he says to Mary, do not cling to me. Instead of clinging to me, know and proclaim this. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to him, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. I am ascending to my God and your God. And Mary went and announced it to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. This is uh, most certainly in, in every single gospel the most important passage for us to know that he is risen. Uh, Paul indicates it, and uh, I, think I've, I think I've got control of this to do. There we go. Oh, yeah. Paul indicates it in the famous passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 13 to 15 says this Paul is reflecting on the resurrection. And he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. 
If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus isn't raised, our sins aren't forgiven. If the Lord isn't raised, then God is not our God, and God is not our Father. But Jesus' proclamation to Mary is that I have risen, and I am going to the Father. I'm not just going to my Father, but because I died on the cross for your sins and paid for them and raised on the third day, I'm going to your Father, and I'm going to your God. If that is not true, Paul proclaims to us that we are to be pitied above all men because we have given all that is temporary in pleasure and comfort in this life for the sake of our King and eternal risen Lord, Jesus. It is absolutely the most fundamental and important passage and action that has happened in all of human history or will. That Jesus conquered death on our behalf that Jesus took our sin, nailed it to the cross, defeated death, and rose again. So his words to Mary are, do not cling to me. Do not cling to some temporary thing that will bring comfort or control or power or fame or money or wealth in this life. Do not cling to those things, but rather fix your eyes on what is true. And what is true is that your Father is in heaven and you have been restored to him through what I have done for you. As Hebrews 1, 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to ease in this world? No. Looking to comfort in this world? No. Looking to gain in this life? No. Looking to fullness of health in our bodies? No. Looking to emotional freedom? No. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He wasn't absorbed into the spiritual bodies of the universe. He is physically risen and seated next to our Father and our God in heaven. So no longer do we uh, trust in the things of this world, but we cling to not the things of this world, but to Jesus who is at the throne, the very throne of God. Jesus is raised, and we too will be raised As verse 1 of that passage says, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. They're there already. 
singing and rejoicing over the kingdom work that is happening on this earth. Praising the Lord for the times when we, instead of looking to our understanding, look by faith to that which God has revealed and trust in Him and in Him alone. Let us not fix our eyes on this world. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the risen Lord. Amen.